Shabbat Shalom, everyone. You may be seated. Tomorrow afternoon, immediately after we celebrate our davening outside at the park and our fink run, I will go home and shower and head to Atlanta where I will participate in the Rabbinical Assembly's annual convention. I am about as excited as the convention as you all just sounded. <laughs> um, rabbi conventions are um, an interesting thing, as I see Rabbi Lewittis and Rabbi Finkelstein nodding their heads to. Um, they're fun. It's great to spend time with colleagues and friends. It's also a time for us, always as a movement, to pause, and to reevaluate where we are, and what we're doing right, and where we need to spend some time working on areas of development, places where we haven't quite hit the mark. I worked at the Jewish Theological Seminary for eight years before I became the rabbi here, and I went to school there for six years before that. And I made it a point to learn a lot about our movement and what is the backbone of our movement, its spring, which is JTS. And one of the founders of that movement, whose name and whose voice still lives within the halls of 3080 Broadway, and who has been gone from our physical midst but continues to live in legacy, is that of your great-grandfather. Rabbi Louis Finkelstein, Allah HaShalom. I spent a lot of time tracing parts of his life and what it was that made him so unique. And I actually feel as someone who has begun to roll up his sleeves and had now 12 years in the rabbinate, considering what it is that our movement needs most at this time, I think about what it was that he would do. What were the areas that were so unique to Rabbi Louis Finkelstein, Allah Shalom, that made him put the conservative movement and JTS on the map in a way that no other institution has seen before or since? And what I think the recipe was in the very simplest of forms, and I realize how audacious it is for me to speak about a person that I never had the blessing of knowing, while his son sits 10 feet in front of me, and I beg of his indulgence and permission in doing so, is that your father, Ezra, of blessed memory, understood what our movement was all about. And that is, in a nutshell, fusing where we are in today's world with our challenges and our strengths and our abilities and all of the world and technology at our fingertips and maintaining all of that world and connecting it to a world that's based on history and tradition and making it come alive. Elias had a beautiful line that I've heard many times before in his speech. He talked about his great-grandfather. He said, when I daven, I talk to God, and when I study Torah, God talks to me. And that quote, of course, is attributed to Rabbi Louis Finkelstein. But what lives inside that quote is the realization that our relationship with God and our relationship with Judaism 
is dynamic and alive. Because we don't communicate in a two-way conversation with something that isn't living or with something that isn't alive or something that doesn't have a form of dynamism within it. And indeed, I believe that was the brilliance of Rabbi Louis Finkelstein. On Thursdays at the Jewish Theological Seminary, when Rabbi Finkelstein was the chancellor, it was Interfaith Day. Leaders from all different stripes of all different religions, whether you were Catholic or Baptist, Methodist, Protestant, an imam, you were Buddhist, you came to the seminary, and Rabbi Finkelstein created a forum, tables, literally and figuratively, for people to engage in conversation and find common denominators that they could work around and become part of. That was his baby. But to show how advanced he was and how he had his finger on the pulse of technology too, his other baby was the Eternal Light Program. The Eternal Light Program, some of you might remember, first began being produced by NBC Radio. And it was basically a radio program before people had television. And it introduced a whole host of actors and actresses that you know. People like... Marilyn Seldes, like Alan Arkin, like Gene Wilder, and the list goes on and on of different people. Maureen Stapleton, E.G. Marshall, Joan Crawford, they were on the radio and they would act out different environments and skits that were based on Jewish values and Torah. And they would have a discussion and it would be regular on Sundays. And eventually it went from the medium of radio the medium of television. And Rabbi Finkelstein put this into action because he believed that if people were gathered around their radio and people were gathered in front of their television sets and people came to their religious leaders for direction, counsel, and guidance, then we need to be there and we need to be talking to them. Because that is, as Rabbi Harold Kushner says, where the shoe pinches. Where people are in their Judaism and in their life, and our job is to get to where they are and tell them, wherever you are, Judaism has relevance to you. And conservative Judaism is about blending those two dynamisms. The dynamism of our tradition, our history, our ancestry, and where we are in the world, without compromising one or the other, but realizing the beauty in both of them. It was through that medium and through two of those of many other examples that Rabbi Finkelstein invited the likes of Golda Meir, of Dwight Eisenhower, of John Kennedy, of Thurgood Marshall, and many other American dignitaries through the halls of 3080 Broadway and showed them what was happening at the Jewish Theological Seminary and why that was the central address of Jewish religion in America. And that was the reason he was recognized and put on the cover of Time magazine. No small feat by any means. So often, Ezra, I think about your dad and what he would do now at this moment in our movement. A movement where we are at a crossroads, where we have a continued growth of technology, advancement, and all types of things happening around us. We hear many different voices on Israel in a way that we never heard before. And we have a movement that, thank God, is growing, but that also feels a significant sense of tension. What would he do? 
where would he be? And as I was considering this question over the last few weeks in anticipation for this rabbinical convention, and in knowing that this week we will be celebrating Elias' bar mitzvah, I was captured by two articles I read in the newspaper and how I imagine your father, of blessed memory, would have responded to them. The first article was an article about Mark Zuckerberg from Facebook. Now, most of the articles you're reading about Mark Zuckerberg today on Facebook have to do with the IPO, the initial public offering that he's about to offer where he's going to gather close to a billion dollars to put Facebook on the NASDAQ exchange. And every journal article in the Times, all these places, they have this going on, and rarely is Zuckerberg available for comment on this issue. However, Mark Zuckerberg did speak up about... He did speak up about something that mattered to him significantly. And what it was that mattered to him significantly was that he realized in the creation of his Facebook page, which hundreds of millions have access to, that realizes the status of all types of people for where they are emotionally, where they are in their marital status and relationships, that he could change the world if he put one more status up there. And the status he decided to put up there was organ donor. And as a result, Zuckerberg believes that he can move the needle significantly because half of America is on Facebook and half of the world today is on Facebook, that by putting a status of organ donor on, that we could actually get people who get their license or to go back to the DMV or wherever else it might be and change their status to organ donor. Now, organ donation is a fascinating concept in our tradition, and for me, it is the very example that proves that Judaism is a living, breathing organism that is alive. Because two generations ago, most Jewish believers and rabbis said organ donation was forbidden. And it was forbidden simply because it was considered nivul hamet, because 99% of organs that were donated went to medical research but they didn't go to the saving of another life. Maybe in the process of research it did, but no instant life was saved. And therefore, because it desecrates the body after death, it was considered and ruled to be unhalachic and unacceptable. But today, because of the advancement of medicine, because of what's possible, because of the knowledge of physicians and medical facilities around the world, we are able to save lives with organ donation both from living to living and from post-mortem to living. And actually, countless modern Orthodox rabbis and conservative rabbis have said in their religious responses that not only is it permitted to donate organs, but some have gone so far to say it's an imperative. And there is a push now in the modern Orthodox world to have every young soldier in Israel sign a waiver that allows them God forbid they're taken in battle or in any accident to donate their organs to someone who might be in need. Zuckerberg points out that 18 people die every day waiting for a transplant. 18 people in the United States every day. And he believes we can change this. To me, that example of the advancement of medicine which changes Jewish law is the epitome of conservative Judaism. 
It is an example of the modern way that we can evolve and change and pivot and say we're not always exactly what we used to be because sometimes our environment and the surroundings around us change and that change is a catalyst for us to change the way and the prism through which we see the Torah. And that is something that I believe touches every person in here. Because as we read in the parsha, Kedoshim to you, we have to be holy. And the holiness exists in seeing the value in every life and in maintaining every life and sustaining every life and keeping every life simply alive. If we don't do that, then how can we be holy? How can we fulfill that responsibility? Zuckerberg is championing this cause. And I thought to myself, Finkelstein, he would be honoring Zuckerberg. Not for the IPO, not for Facebook, not for the ability to friend people all over. That'd be interesting to him. But for saving lives and being holy, he'd invite them to JTS. He'd show them an old text in the rare manuscript room that teaches the same value from the 6th or 7th century in its original hand by its author. And he'd say, you see, Mark, you're thinking just like our rabbis did thousands of years ago. God bless you for keeping their legacy alive. Because he's seeing that modern approach, where we are in technology, where we are in the world, where we are in medicine, and where we are in our tradition, and he would marry the two together. And in my humble opinion, organ donation should be one of the top two priorities that the conservative movement should be standing on the mountaintops of and ensuring that each and every one of its members understand what it's about, believes in, and signs up for because we have a value in saving lives and it matters to us. Just recently, a young man in our congregation got his driver's license. He came in to see me with his father and he said, we're having a debate. Can you help us? The debate was, should he put organ donor on his license? His father said no because his father told him it was forbidden. And he wants to because he knows of a friend who had her life saved through an organ. And we looked at the text together. We explained them and studied them. And I said, actually, you're both right. In the time of your father, it was forbidden. But in today's time, it's not only permitted, it's encouraged. It's mandated. And that is what we're about as a people. There was one other example that caught my attention of the epitome of Kedoshim to you of being holy and what it means and how I think Rabbi Louis Finkelstein would have stood at a podium and loudly applauded the behavior of such individual. And this individual is Coach Craig Schiano, formerly of Rutgers University, now the head coach of my favorite team, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Eric, uh, Greg Schiano decided, as he was putting together his practice squad for the Tampa Bay Bucs, a roster of 90 players, that he would draft during this past week of drafts a player by the name of Eric Legrand. Most of us are New Jerseyites, so New Jerseyans, sorry. And we understand who Eric Legrand is, but in case anyone is visiting from afar or doesn't know the story, Eric Legrand played for Rutgers. He was a great player. He made a tackle at MetLife Stadium in a college football game. The tackle went funny. He severed his neck and became paralyzed from his mid-chest down. He was carted off the field. 
Eric Legrand has incredible determination and passion. His dream is to come back to the very field where he was injured, to lie down where the accident happened and the tackle was made and to stand up and walk off the field. He's not there yet. But he's making his way. He's regained some feeling in his fingers and in parts beyond his sternum. But his coach at the time, who was at Rutgers, knew this kid's spirit. He knew his value system. He knew what he believed in. And he believed in him also. So on that 90-player roster, Greg Schiano decided he's going to draft Eric Legrand to come down to the Buccaneers and be on their team. But he wasn't just going to be a token player. Greg Schiano said to his player, you're not only coming down because I'm doing this, as he would, I would say, not he would say, a mitzvah for you. You have a role on this team. You need to help me coach. You need to help me inspire. You need to make sure these kids are doing the right thing and not the wrong thing. You're not just down here for a media frenzy. I need you. Here's Eric Legrand, a paralyzed, almost quadriplegic player who had hopes of being drafted in the NFL, instead had to watch it from his wheelchair. And his coach says, I'm drafting you. And I'm not only drafting you just to come and be there. You're number 52 and you've got a job, buddy. Of all the spots I have, you're taking one of them up. And don't think you're getting by just because you're in a wheelchair. I have something for you to do. And Eric Legrand smiled from ear to ear because he had value again. He had worth again. He had a role on a team again, which is exactly where he was when he was last played and injured. And that's all he wanted to do, to get back and have that place. And Greg Schiano made that possible. That is what it means to be holy. And I believe, as I think your grandfather would have believed, and others believe, that whether you're Jewish or not Jewish, whether you're white or black, whatever your background or history, that we have a responsibility to share our common denominators, which is exactly what Rabbi Finkelstein did that put the conservative movement head and shoulders above any other movement that existed at the time. Because we found those common values where we saw holiness in the world and we applauded and we cheered and we celebrated. And that's what we would be doing now and should be doing now. And your grandfather, Alava Shalom, would be the loudest, the most vocal. And he'd be ushering Greg Schiano and Eric Legrand through the halls of JTS and speaking about what it means to be holy. Kedoshim to you. How you make a difference in the world. How it is that you take where we are with the realities and the modernity and we can make a difference and be leaders. And not leading because we want notoriety or recognition or fame, but leading out of the purity in our heart because it's the path we should be on. When I go down on Atlanta to Atlanta on Sunday, I'll be surrounded by friends and colleagues. We'll daven together. We'll eat together. We'll share a few jokes and a few stories of the trade. But I hope that we can find a moment for a level of inspiration, for a level of infusement like an IV drip would give us of the leaders of that last generation of blessed memory, of leaders like Rabbi Louis Finkelstein, who understood what the very core of our movement was all about. And the blending, the fusing, the marriage of those two circles and bringing them together 
and seeing the harmony and the rainbow of colors that exist when they touch. If we can find that moment, then we again can celebrate and achieve all of the beauty and sanctity that exists in our movement, in our Jewish world. And then we can continue to say and be that we are Kedoshim. We are the Holy Ones that God wants us to be. King Yehiratzel, may that be God's will. Amen. We continue our service, page 155. The Chazan leads us in the Chazikadosh. <laughs> 